0: And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy
1: The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Born during the despair of the Great Depression, tempered by the fires of the Second World War, on a parallel Earth very much like our own, yet slightly different, they're banded together the greatest forces for freedom ever assembled. Over the many ensuing years, New and younger members would join the veteran champions of the golden age, continuing their fight for truth, justice, and the American way, becoming so much more than just heroes, they became legends. Back to the Bins proudly presents Legends of the Justice Society of America.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am here with Mr. David Pascarella. How's it going? It is going. And Mr. Scott H. Gardner.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: And H is for how's how's it going? (laughs) It is going well. It's going well, and we are... As excited as we get about podcasting, usually, because we're starting yet another new segment, we are going to call Legends of the Justice Society of America. And we are going to basically look over all the crossovers with the Justice Society and Justice League and give them an in-depth purview or review or some kind of view uh, (laughs) as we go through them. And we're going to start today with Flash of two worlds you know i'm excited about this because as i think most of the listeners know i've always been a justice society fan and that is really how scott and i first started talking to each other was when well no actually you were doing back to the bins before you were doing tales i'm not sure what you were doing first but anyway i used to contact you on just on tales of the justice society i used to contact you uh for back to the bins and before you were able to get any sort of protective order we actually met face to face (laughs)
1: <laughs> it hurts me that we're missing the doctor tonight. I really wish he was here, Dr. Bill, because if if my faulty, shitty memory is correct, I think we basically all four of us came together as friends through my work uh, on the Justice Society podcast that I used to do. And you guys feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I think that is right, is that that's kind of how we met. You guys wrote into that show, and then we got to know each other and everything and, you know, look at us today. So it all kind of goes back. I think
0: Dave and Bill and I were trying to have an intervention to stop you from doing
2: it. <laughs> right. Oh, my God, please, please stop. <laughs> um, I almost had a column that
1: I was writing to that show so often. <laughs> But uh, I'm I'm incredibly excited about this. I'll, I'll give just a little bit of history for anybody that doesn't know. So years and years ago, I, I did another podcast called Tales of the Justice Society of America, and that show was actually a spinoff um, from an episode of Back to the Bins. I, I wish I could tell you which 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 episode it was. I, I didn't really think about this earlier, or I'd have done the homework and. In, in, you know, so I could tell you. But if you go back in the history, um, there's an it, there's a episode way, 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 way back. It was called something like, Who in the Hell is Hugo Danner? Or something to that effect. I can't remember the exact name, but it had Hugo Danner in the title of it. If you Google it, you could probably find it. But anyway. I remember
0: um, it, and it was a great episode, actually.
1: It was a great episode. and And because of that episode, it was me and it was Mike Bailey. And we both discovered that we had a serious love and passion for not only Hugo Danner, not only Hugo Danner's son, Arn Monroe, but uh, we were huge fans of the young all-stars. And we were also big fans of basically everything related to that title that came before it, like All-Star Squadron and, of course, Justice Society of America. So we actually spun that episode off into its own podcast called Tales of the Justice Society of America, and we started with when the Justice Society came back in All-Star Comics, when All-Star Comics got revived, and that was our jumping in point. And we did look at a lot of the JSA, uh, JLA crossovers, but we didn't go all the way back. And I think Mike even proposed that at one time, and I kind of poo pooed the idea. But anyway, that that show ran for several years and and we we did a lot of great work on that show and I really enjoyed it. But things just kind of fell apart and we never really finished the show and it's just been one of those things that's made my heart ache for for years now since that show ended is, you know, going back and being able to to pick that up again and and do it and finish it essentially. But I've been trying to come up with ways that I could do it, because I, you know, Mike and I always promised each other that, you know, we would never do Tales without each other. So tempting it is as it is to bring this show back and and call it Tales of, I, I don't want to do that, you know, in 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 deference to Mike. So we're kind of doing something a little bit different, but also kind of familiar to those that might remember that show with this show, Legends. So with this, we actually are going back to basically the very beginnings of earth two, um, and that whole parallel earth concept that led to the justice society returning. So that's why we're, we're starting where we're starting. Hopefully, you know, this all makes sense uh, as we go along. So this will be an index show. We, We will be going in order of appearances and that sort of thing. And, uh, I highly encourage the listeners write in. Let us know what you think about this. You know, join us on Facebook. Uh, you know, jump into the conversation in our Facebook group. Let us know what you think. You know, what are we doing? Uh, you know, uh, you know, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What do you like? What do you don't like? Uh, you know, give us some direction and, and some feedback. We'd really appreciate that. But if uh, if this goes half as well as uh, as you know the old Tales Show did, then I think this will be a big hit. I think people will really enjoy this because I know the Justice Society has a lot of fans and very rabid fans. And we are four of them. Um, And just, uh,
0: I think it's worth mentioning that uh, we're going to hit every justice league issue that had the crossover and we're going to hit key crossover issues otherwise, but we're not going to hit every crossover issue.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we are, we are doing, yeah, we, we kind of have a mission laid out with this thing and, and we're going to see, you know, how everything goes along, but yeah, we're, Starting out, we're going to be looking like the first three episodes, just kind of spoil ahead a little bit. The first three episodes will cover Flash issues because the Flash led to the Justice Society in mass coming back. So we kind of have to cover those. Once they're actually back and they start crossing over with the JLA, there are other crossovers of like individual characters like, say. The Golden Age atom appearing in the atom, that sort of thing. We'll be looking at some of those. I don't know that we'll necessarily be looking at all of them because, you know, there's a lot of them and not all of them are, are particularly relevant to kind of the, the mission that we've got here, which is the Justice Society kind of unmass, en- en- you know, a- as a group. So hopefully that makes sense. But
2: there'll be some discernment
1: which ones are covered and which ones are not. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, We're going to try not to get bogged down in the weeds because that that happened to us a couple of times on the old show where we wanted to be super authoritative. But sometimes being a super authoritative also means that you drag the show down. And so I don't want to get stuck with that because we actually tried to do like, for example, the Huntress backups in Wonder Woman. And they're of extremely varying quality, most not all that great, you know, once you get past, like, the Joe Staten Illustrated issues type of thing. So we want to be careful of that. You know, we don't want to lose momentum and lose steam and especially lose listenership because we start to suck, you know or that the material that we're covering is just not something that we're, we're super enthusiastic about. So how do you define start to suck? (laughs) I think that happened a number of years ago, but anyway, Um, Enough about all the preface. Let's go ahead and jump right into this. So I know we're all really excited on this one. So this is, as uh, Paul said, this is Flash number 123, cover dated September 1961. It was on sale on the stands, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on July 18th, 1961 cover is by penciler Carmine Infantino and Inker Murphy Anderson. And uh, it is an iconic cover, which I'm sure we'll get back to talking about that. It, uh, I love the color of the cover copy on it. Uh, it just says, you know, featuring Flash of Two Worlds, a spectacular story that is sure to become a classic. And a lot of comics said that type of thing on the cover, but uh, they weren't kidding in this instance. Uh, cover price, a mere 10 cents. The story yeah, isn't titled. I
0: think to find that now.
1: <laughs> yeah, believe me, I'm hunting this issue, and yeah, I ain't gonna find it for ten cents. That's for damn sure.
0: I wouldn't think you'd find it for anything that would be affordable at all.
1: Well, there was one. It's funny bec- that you say that because um, I, you know, I've been keeping an eye on it and and watching it, and there was one that ended in the middle of the night the other night for like sixty seven dollars or something, and I'm really? like. As soon as I got up in the morning, I'm like, shit, how did I miss that? And then I realized I, I didn't miss it. I let it go because in reading the description, it was pretty beat up and it was missing the back cover and stuff like that. So it is one that I had watched and then unwatched. But sometimes eBay doesn't – they either don't catch that or they don't care. They'll still pester you about it because you watched it at some point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing.
0: I'm just looking at eBay now, and I'm just seeing it for. It looks like the best price I'm seeing is three fifty or best offer.
2: Three dollars and fifty cents <laughs> is a great price.
0: Here's one from the United Kingdom: two fifty two
1: thirty nine. Is that pounds though?
0: No, I think that's the American. Uh,
1: oh, okay.
2: Exchange and rate eighteen hundred dollars to ship
0: yeah well that's without
2: saying
1: well i mean call me crazy but uh, i'll go up to a hundred but that's it i'm not i'm not going over that but you know every time Stranger i think uh, have yeah exactly every time i think oh that ain't gonna happen and then it happens so you never know i'm I'm keeping my uh, my eyes and ears open but yeah I, I really would like to to own a copy of this because as we're going to find out uh, you know in the telling of this it is uh it's a very key issue in the DC universe. I mean, it's it's one of the key DC books. So, uh, again, as I mentioned, the the story is called Flash of Two Worlds. The writer on it was Gardner F. Fox, no relation. Uh, penciler was Carmine Infantino and inker Joe Gaella. I have a note Joe Gaela
0: of East Meadow, New York. I would add.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I he lives a...
0: uh, apparently several blocks from where I lived. Until he passed away.
1: Right, right. I have a note here to discuss the opening splash page, but I have no idea what I was supposed to discuss. Maybe it's the Um, fact that Barry Allen has a giant head. Yeah, he does have a huge head. It is ginormous. Yeah, I... I don't know. I don't remember what my note was about, but, uh, the, the opening splash is really cool. It is, you know, it's got the two flashes talking to each other and, uh, and Jay Garrick, the golden age Flash, is, uh, just saying, how can you possibly claim to be the flash Barry Allen when I Jay Garrick am the flash and have been so for more than 20 years. And then we have the, uh, the funky little, um, narration boxes on the side that actually have hands coming out of them. It's super creepy. It says, how many flashes are there? One, two, is Barry Allen the real flash or is Jay Garrick? Does the Flash live in Central City or in Keystone City? Only one thing seems certain. Both live on the planet Earth, and only by traveling to the, quote-unquote, other Earth can the Flash discover his alter ego and become Flash of two worlds. I think maybe my note had to do with the fact that uh, it says, does the Flash live in Central City or Keystone City? Um, After the crisis on Infinite Earths, they will merge and become twin cities. Maybe that's what my note was about. I have no idea. I need to leave better notes for myself because I have Dory's memory. Anyway, synopsis as follows. So it is one o'clock in the afternoon and police scientist Barry Allen hurries towards Central City Community Center where his girlfriend, Iris uh, West, is waiting for him. Arriving, Barry hears her fussing and uh, assumes it's because he's late but she tells him that she's actually upset about the no-show magician that she hired to entertain the orphans. Barry offers to phone up the Flash to see if he'd fill in, and soon the show is on with Iris introducing the world's fastest man to a throng of excited children. Flash plays ping-pong with himself, and... Uh, uh, yeah, my mother used to say that would make it go blind. But anyway, and other fantastic <laughs> scenes for over an hour until finally deciding to close out the show with the Indian rope trick in which he uses his super speed and vibratory powers to climb a rope to nowhere. But unexpectedly, when he reaches the top, he simply pops out of existence, much to the chagrin of the children in Iris West. Meanwhile, the Flash reappears on a lonely road on the outskirts of a city in the distance. Thinking that he vibrated himself through a space warp, the Flash zips into town where the absence of certain key landmarks makes him suspect he has traveled back in time. Eventually, he pulls a Marty McFly and checks out a newspaper to discover that it is indeed present day, June 14th, 1961, but that he suddenly found himself in Keystone City? Barry has a brainstorm. Could it be? Is it true? He used to live here! Barry pulls another Marty McFly move and checks a phone book for the directory listings. Great! Doc Brown is alive! And so is Jay Garrick! Barry switches out of his costume and back into his casual nerd wear to pay a visit to the Garrick residence. A little older, a little grayer, Jay answers the door and Barry fanboys all over his childhood hero. Barry reveals that he knows Jay was the first Flash and recounts the origin of the Golden Age speedster. Then, donning his own costume, he relates his personal backstory to Jay and his wife. He tells Jay how it was his adventures, which Barry read in comic books, that inspired him to assume the identity of the Flash on his own world, another Earth which Barry supposes is in a similar universe separated by different vibratory rates. Odd that Barry should appear just now, comments Jay, as he'd been thinking of late about coming out of retirement and lending a hand investigating a series of strange robberies that have occurred in broad daylight. Barry eagerly offers to assist in solving these crimes, and so a historic first-time team-up begins. Elsewhere, the men behind these crimes sit and scheme. They are the Thinker, the Fiddler, and the Shade. Each of them has recently escaped prison and have returned to Keystone City to team up, rob the city blind, and, with luck, coax their old nemesis, the Flash, out of retirement and into the grave. The villains split up, each with his own scheme to pull, and soon the thinker is at the home of millionaire Edwin Jarvis, or excuse me, Edward Jarvis. (laughs) I guess maybe being the Avengers butler paid off if he's a millionaire. (laughs) And anyway, and before going in to uh, nab the Neptune cup, whatever that is, he uses his spaghetti strainer helmet to ask a couple of dogs to keep a lookout for the Flash and tell him what the Thinker is up to if they see him, which actually happens moments later as the Flash just happens to run by, I guess. But apparently not so quickly that the dogs don't have time to identify him and actually speak to him. Yes, speak to him. No not bark, but speak to him in the King's English, however the f**k that works. (laughs) And tell him, hey man, the Thinker's in there stealing shit. So Flash runs through the wall and surprises the Thinker. Or at least he tries to, but every time he's about to lay hands on the criminal, he blinks to another part of the room. This happens again and again and again until Jay is completely exhausted, at which point the Thinker comes out of the closet, so to speak, (laughs) to reveal that he's been casting false mental images of, uh, of himself at Jay in order to have him run all over the place and wear himself out. Summoning the last of his energy, Jay streaks at the Thinker, but only manages to knock himself out when the Thinker uses incredibly ingenious, innovative, clever, dastardly, and cunning move of... simply closing the door in Jay's face. (laughs) Meanwhile, along the waterfront, Barry notices a weird blackness out in the harbor and races out to investigate. There he finds himself blind and completely enveloped in the shade's pitch black fog. He tries spinning, that's a good trick, and his tornado-like funnel sucks up the blackness and whisks it away. Spotting the shade attempting to flee in a speedboat, Barry pursues him by running across the water but fails to catch the bad guy when the shade uses his darkness-projecting powers to mix oil into the sea, making it too slippery to stand up on. Um, my mm. brain hurts. Anyway, later... At the Garrick house, the Flashes regroup, compare notes, and decide that the only way to do this is together. Which is kind of what I thought they were already decided to do, but you know, whatever. So now it's on to chapter three, and the fiddler who is uh, menacing the city with his creepy music whilst tooling around in his uh, swank fiddle car... Uh, which looks less to me like an actual fill than it does uh, Henry Fonda's boat in On Golden Pond, or whatever. Uh, the fiddler's tune is causing all kinds of chaos, and in a scene straight from the cover of the book, I Smell Bonus Points, the Flash runs to save a man about to be beamed by a falling girder. The Flashes track the fiddler to the Keystone City Museum. Meanwhile, at the Crooks' hideout, Uh, Thinker and Shade compare notes and deduce that there are now two flashes running around and head to the museum to assist the unsuspecting fiddler. But when they arrive, they find the musician has the situation well in bow as the flashes are his musical puppets. To the Fiddler's tune, they dance and prance and collect jewels big and small. In fact, too small in some cases, and the Fiddler tells them to ignore the small stuff and concentrate on the big items. This will prove to be his undoing. Soon it's time to skedaddle, but as the criminals turn to leave, thinking the Flashes are left helplessly still enthralled, they are stunned to find the heroes are on the move and the bad guys are foiled. But how? Well, it turns out that the fiddler said to ignore the small stuff, Jay and Barry jammed those gems into their ears, thus blocking the music and freeing themselves from the fiddler's sway. And incidentally, causing hundreds of unnecessary trips to the emergency room as the comic reading Utes of America jammed mom's jewelry in their ears, just like their hero, The Flash, had done. Anyway, the city is saved and the page count is getting low, so Barry bids his hero goodbye and asks him to swing by sometime as he vibrates his way back to his own Earth. Once home, the Flash looks up Iris to let her know he's okay, but doesn't really give her the whole skinny, because frankly, who'd believe it? And the story ends with the Flash thinking to himself that he ought to look up Gardner Fox and tell him all about it so he can write it up in Flash Comics. The end. Whew! That was great. Oh, thank you. So what do we got on this one, boys?
0: Well, right off the bat, I'm going out and buying a Frontier cabin. (laughs) (laughs) I can get five of them for $4.
1: (laughs) You can open your own campground.
0: You know, it's funny because it's iconic in every way, and yet it's kind of a small story. Yes. which, Which is... You know, there's a little bit of a contrast to that, and and I like that contrast in in this case. I mean, I think if they did that all the time, I might grow a little tired of it. You know, sometimes you got to up the stakes a little bit. But this this is not, you know, the world isn't on edge here. Uh, it's it's you know, what is he stealing? This the stupid cup, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's there's there's not a heck of a lot at stake except it's just such a momentous meeting right that that kind of carries the day and I'm kind of cool with that so you know that that's the first aspect of it but you know I think you got to give him credit for just the idea that we're going to we're going to combine these two worlds we're going to take what we've done you know it, to to it, at the start of uh, the golden age and you know through the golden age and we're not going to pretend it doesn't exist anymore because we have pretended it didn't exist for however long now Uh, But now we're going to we're going to actually integrate it into our continuity, which, you know, it it just goes against so many thoughts that I have, because I always talk about how, you know, Marvel became very progressive and DC kind of just got stuck in the Silver Age. But this is a very, very progressive thing that they did. So it kind of goes against their not taking chances that, you know, that the past has kind of shown us from them. Uh, if that makes any sense at all. Sure. Uh, so I, I, I think it's, you know, it it's doing stuff that I didn't expect. And I think that's great.
2: Well, what's the gap between um, the last Flash comics and the introduction of Barry Allen? Oh, that's a good question. It's, it's I, I, not as long as I think we, no, we it think it is. It's, is. It's,
0: I think it's less than 10 years.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's you could have, in theory, had a kid like his first comic was Jay Garrick and his last comic was Barry Allen. Uh,
0: Showcase number four has a cover date of October 1956. Flash Comics number 104, which I think is either the last one or close to the last one, uh, has a cover date of February of
2: 1949.
1: So it's seven years.
0: And that that may be I may be off because i'm not 100 sure if 104 was the last
1: well that's that's 12 years and 12 years is what had stuck in my mind because i, I can't remember if it's in this issue or not i'd have to hunt for it but somewhere
0: well 12 there, years to there to, is
1: a mention of 12 years either 12, in this
0: 12 book years to uh to the flash uh, to the flesh of two worlds but only seven years to from jay garrick to uh, barry allen
2: Right, right,
0: right, yeah,
2: so you could have had a kid who was say six who started buying comic books, he bails out at thirteen,
0: and he's been he's met both
2: right, right. It's just I always had you know growing up with this this thought that there was you know such a humongous gap in between the two, and it's well, really not that well,
0: big it's it's the same thing well, with like Captain America to Avengers number four. Uh, you know, they were they were producing comics in the 50s. I mean, they eventually retconned it to to make that a different Captain America. But you know, they, those comics were coming out in the 50s, and then they brought him back in Fantastic Four number four, which I think is you know early in 1962.
1: Well, th- I have two thoughts on that. Is for one, you know, if, if the theory holds that they were turning over their audience every couple of years, then then you know that would account for people not remembering and needing to be reintroduced to. Uh, a character from the golden age. But also I I think there's that whole time dilation thing that, you know, time moves faster as you get older. So for us, you know, five, 10, sometimes even 20 or more years doesn't seem that long ago. But when you're a kid, I mean, five years is an eternity, you know? So
0: that is very true. I always, I, the, the thing I always say is from the point when I first had conscious memories which, you know, what are you, two years old, three years old when you first remember things? From then to eighteen years old took forever. Yeah. And from eighteen to now was like an hour.
1: Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah. Uh, and I think I misspoke. I think I started talking about the Submariner to uh or I started talking about Captain America to Avengers number four, and somehow I transferred that to Fantastic Four with Submariner initiative number four. <laughs> but either way, it's it's the same concept.
1: Right, right.
0: You you are absolutely right, but I, You know, I don't even know if Davis is shortchanging the number of years. I know, you know, now it's much more common to have older people reading comics, uh, and we are the example of that. But I don't know that it was uncommon to have kids from six to even 15, 16, 17 years old.
2: Oh, I think it was probably older yeah. because, I mean, coming in from the 40s, you had guys in the service who yeah. were reading comic books.
1: I'm curious. Was this your you guys' first time reading this, or had you read this before?
0: Oh no, I read this. Oh, I read this before.
1: I, this. I honestly can't remember. I think this may just be my first time reading this. Um, and you know, I'm I'm not sure what I was expecting, but I generally really dug it. I thought it was a lot of fun. And uh, and I agree with what Paul said. You know, it, it reminds me very much of you know a book. That has been a, a holy grail of mine for a long long time that I finally scored recently was uh, uh, Adventure Comics I think it's 283 is the number first Phantom Zone story and it's very similar to this in the aspect of the hubbub surrounding its importance is so much bigger than the story itself the story is is rather simple because of course they had no idea when they wrote it you know it was it was just it was just another issue. Kind of a throwaway concept type of thing, and it just exploded into you know so much more, and that's that's kind of what I like about it. It's not big and overblown or whatever. And I I, I don't know if maybe that's what I was expecting, but I I liked finding it. It was a fairly simple and, and really fun story. Well, this also I think works because first of all, it's the introduction
2: of the multiple Earths,
1: and they right? meet
2: they meet as an accident. You know, it's not like. If it was the same uh, story where they're going to fight these clownish criminals and he was calling him to come over to help, it would be a little more uh, as opposed to, wow, I didn't see this coming. (laughs) I stole that from the Avengers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Patent pending. (laughs) Because it's a simple story, it, it loses a little of its... You know, there's not really like a lot I think in the way of subtext to kind of go over with it. It is still very Silver Agey as far as the villains go. I, I personally, of the, of the three, the the Shade is the one that I get a kick out of. Yeah. Uh, I don't really, you know, the 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 Thinker, you know, wasn't developed better until later, and even the Fiddler, I don't know that he was ever developed to a point where I really considered him to be a big time villain. Uh, but you know, but. It was, that was all fine. I, I think, you know, I'm sitting here and saying to myself, I like the fact that they made it a small story. And then when I think it over and to start thinking about, well, would I change anything here or there? Every change I would make would probably make it a bigger story. And I don't <laughs> know that that would serve it well. Right. This is why I'm not an editor. <laughs> but, you know, because I, I would probably want to have more of a reason for them to get together.
2: No, right. see that's what
0: ruins but, it. Then and yeah, well that's what I'm saying. It, like if 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 you left this in my clumsy hands, I would ruin it by making it too big. I like the fact that it's small, and I would still be like, oh well, you got to do this, and you know, I put I'd have some sort of earth shattering thing going on that that required it, and this is better because it's all like an accident.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Complete accident. Do you think when and, Barry arrives at Jay's house? You know, Jay and is Joan look at each other and they're thinking, oh, another groupie nut. We're gonna have to kill this
0: one. <laughs> We're gonna have to kill another one. <laughs> we gotta
2: kill another one. Get the shovel out, clank. Yes, have a seat here.
0: <laughs> Joan, go get the lime.
2: <laughs> I know everything about you. I know your phone number. I know what you do. I know where you live. What color shorts you wear? Oh, God.
0: Stalker. It would have been funny if he just, like, you know, just knocked him out when he said all this stuff. <laughs> right,
1: punch him right in the face. Uh, Do how... you guys own this issue?
0: No, no, no. no way.
2: Oh, yeah, oh yeah, I, I own it in the lovely crisis on multiple arts team ups. The uh,
1: that's a nice great book.
2: paperback.
1: That is great a nice book, book has a
2: beautiful cover. What year was this? This came out in. Uh, Real paper, folks. It takes a second. Uh,
0: 2005. Oh, my. Oh, five? Okay. It says here it was reprinted in 80-page giant number nine, The Greatest Team-Up Stories Ever Told, Millennium Edition, Flash Archives number three, Crisis on Multiple Earths, The Team-Ups, volume one, Showcase Presents, The Flash, volume two, DC Comics Classics Library, The Flash Chronicles, volume four, the flash omnibus volume one the flash a celebration of 75 years and the flash 80 years of the fastest man alive which one do you have there
2: i have uh crisis on multiple arts the team ups volume one
0: okay yes yeah, so that's yep. that was on the list
2: yep
0: so it says i'm just looking over here uh, at the little notes they give us on uh the dc database uh issue is divided into three chapters well duh The origins of both Barry Allen and Jay Garrick are recapped in this issue. Story was retold for the post-crisis New Earth continuity in Secret Origins, Volume 2, Number 50. We should probably cover that at some point.
1: I would like to look at that, yes, because I'm curious how a story – I was always fascinated post-crisis by how things that clearly took place between Earth 1 and Earth 2 or or any other Earth – how they could have played out in post-crisis continuity. So yes, I would really like to take a look at that story.
0: It says the fiddler chronologically appeared last in Starman volume two, number 46. His last actual appearance was in comic cavalcade number 28. And hmm. he next appears in justice league of America. Number 21. Aha. Uh-huh. Which we will be seeing sometime soon. Yeah. Golden age flash last appeared in all-star comics. Number 57. He next appears in Flash 129. That was the
1: last Justice Society story. Yeah.
0: And do you know do we know what the date
1: was on that? Uh I do not, but I can look it up.
0: This is general, generally regarded the first appearance of the multiverse, even though technically there were earlier examples such as Wonder Woman number 59. The multiverse is a mixture of parallel dimensions that exist side by side to one another and di- and divergent timelines. These parallel dimensions could be accessed via vibrational attunement, time space warps, and hypertime. Convergence number zero states that this first appearance of pre crisis Earth 2 metropolis, giving credence to the idea that this is the first unofficial appearance of Earth 1 and Earth 2 as separate entities. They will not be named as such until Justice League of America number 21.
1: All-Star Comics number 57 was out in uh, February, March 1951, or that's the cover date. It was actually released in December of 1950, so 10 years prior to this was his last appearance.
0: So that must mean that the Flash issues that I was giving the dates on were reprints. Could be. So 51, you know, so we are talking like you said 12 years before between uh or well 51 to what is the date on this
1: this one 61
0: so 10 years yep which you know at least according to conventional wisdom of mm-hmm. comic uh creators at in that era would uh Be something where, you know, you would have a different, you know, different readership by the time 10 years would go by, because there there was that thought that they could retell stories after about four years because their readership changed right at the time.
2: You're saying they didn't have people that were 50 some odd years old reading this
0: stuff or 60 for that matter.
1: So Mike has a note in Mike's Amazing World for. uh, Flash Comics number 104, it says, this is the final Golden Age Flash solo story. He would continue to appear in all-star comics with the Justice Society until 1951 before being revived in 19, he says, 63, Uh, Flash 123. It's actually 1961 according to the the dates on the issue. But, But, yeah, 10 years. 10 years he was out of circulation.
0: Now, I think we should talk about the cover because uh, you know you you mentioned early on that we would and i mean you don't get much more iconic than this yeah uh yeah. and and this is i i think i've seen like a a, a statue of this yes yep. and that would be you know especially if it's really well made that would be very cool to have
1: yeah yeah, I, I, I love I love the cover on this. It's it's completely iconic. I really like that it's inked by uh by Murphy Anderson, one of my favorites. I, I wish Anderson had done the interior inks as well. I mean, I like Joe Gagliano just fine, and and you know the inks are serviceable inside, but uh, I, I can I can only imagine how much better it would look if it was was Anderson, who I I really really like.
0: I think the inks inside are of the age. Yes. This 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 is kind of the standard comic style of 1961. Uh, And you know what? I'm going to even say it's a little better than that, because as much as I love Jack Kirby, if you look at the inking in the early FF issues, it's a little rougher than this. Yeah. This is this has got a smoothness to it that 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 didn't have. Right. So I'm I'm not really going to complain about the inking like I said because it is the s- style of the day. Uh I I think you know it, there's attempt in here by uh Infantino to be a little bit, you know, dynamic in a couple of the angles that he chooses. Uh he isn't, you know, he isn't going to overly uh use the change of the panels to to make, you know, like you're not going to have multiple splash pages or anything like that but i do think again for the era that this was done in he he was adding some dynamic shots in here i'm, I'm just i'm looking at the end of chapter two when it shows the two of them running towards the word the uh the word box i, right. I think that's that's cleverly laid out um the the uh shot you know with with the uh this st- the flash spiraling the uh the blackness away uh, you know that whole page i think that's really well set up uh so you know there is there is some dynamism again that would not be typical in this day and age although the shot of the two of them dancing is really just it. <laughs> it, it, it it's the stuff nightmares are made of
1: well i have uh I have page by page notes if we would just want to kind of page through the book. Uh, I sure. don't know how you guys notes are laid out on this. You know, he had mentioned uh you know, Barry's head looking huge in that in the opening splash. I had the same note on that. Page two first panel, basically the first panel of the story. I, I just I love this the layout of this is this is classic uh Carmen Infantino right here. And I, I just I love the look at it. You know, it, it just you could really almost
0: hear the city music going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just a really fantastic image. I like that a lot. I want to know what schedule uh, Barry Allen keeps that he's off work at one in the afternoon. How does how does that <laughs> how does that work? Page three, third panel. This is pure nightmare fuel of the creepy floating oh, the kid kids. heads. Yeah, out in the audience. Yes. That is Yeah, that's disturbing on all kinds. Iris of Iris also places. has
0: an ex- a really
1: long neck. <laughs> now page four uh what how how the hell does this work so flash uses his super speed and some sort of vibration power to do the indian rope trick now the indian rope trick for anybody that doesn't know is basically where what do they call them fakirs fakers however that was pronounced they would you know basically extend a rope to nowhere up in the air and then do various tricks. Um, I, I think including even being able to climb the rope, I think, but how, how exactly does that work here with him? I mean, how is super speed allowing him to keep a rope straight up? I, I don't get it. I, I don't It understand. doesn't
0: make sense because the only way that that kind of can fool my brain into thinking it could happen is if he climbed it so fast that Gravity hadn't affected the rope, but if he climbed it that fast, the kids wouldn't be able to see him climb it yeah, anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah, it doesn't, yeah, I'm not really sure how that whole And I'm thing. not
0: sure that, that the whole idea of climbing it before gravity affects it is, is a real concept anyway. <laughs> right, right. I, it's just, that's Again, that's just kind of fooling my brain into thinking that could happen. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I could go with that. If if they if they want to give me that because at least there's some sort of internal logic to it, but vibrating it no,
2: right it doesn't do it for me. He's rubbing the rope and again, getting mind.
1: Oh, okay.
0: When a, when a flash and a rope love each other very much. <laughs>
1: Uh, Page five, I love this. I love that Barry doesn't appear in the city, that that essentially that Keystone is not the Earth to Central City. I love that. I, I love that he appears on the outskirts, basically in a field type of thing, because that fits so nicely into... Post-crisis continuity where eventually uh, the two cities would merge to form twin cities after the crisis. And I just like that, you know, this this fits so nicely, you know, so many years before that story was, you know, even a concept. I I just that that's really cool. I like when things just kind of work out that way. It's just important to point out that the term parallel Earths is not used, nor is the name Earth 2 adopted in this issue. As Paul mentioned, that wouldn't come along until uh, the first JLA JSA team up. So while they are talking about you know other Earths and you know the concept of parallel earths, they they don't specifically drop those terms. I think that's pretty cool. Topical reference on page six, page one with the, uh, the date on the newspaper. So that, that actually places it in a specific moment in time. Flag day. Oh, is it flag day?
2: Yes, it is.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> and it's
1: Amanda, my daughter
2: Amanda's birthday. So.
0: Happy birthday, Amanda.
2: Page nine. The. Oh, wait, wait, th- don't get off this page yet. The phone book. When he, lo- he's looking up the numbers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I get a kick out of he's got the name, he's got the address, and you can see the phone number starts
1: with letters. Yeah, K- K-E. K-E. Oh, right, yeah. For Keystone, I guess, yeah. Huh.
0: I liked the retelling of of Jay's origin by Barry. I thought that was kind of cool.
1: Right. And also, when I've seen
0: it before, and maybe, maybe my memory is wrong, but I don't remember it being as overwhelming to him as the way he's shown in this picture and this makes a lot more sense the the hard water you know the gas like it's it's causing him to pass out on the floor it looks like it's it's really having an impact on him whereas you know i I always kind of kind of got the impression yeah he breathed it
2: in (laughs) because there's two origins there's one in the original flash comics
0: number one
2: and then there is a retelling of the origin when he got his own book uh, all flash quarterly. And in the second telling, it's, not to go into too much detail, it's more overwhelming
1: than in the first telling. Did they ever spruce up his origin beyond the fact of hard water fumes? Or, or does that remain pretty much the, the, the reason for his powers?
2: I think it is hard water fumes. I don't recall. As far
0: as I know, I never heard of any other origin for
2: him. Because hmm. hard water, apparently on Earth, Too is completely different than hard water
0: uh, water. (laughs) yeah
1: exactly yeah man
2: i'd take a bath in it if i thought i was going to get those (laughs) powers
1: well i just i know that sometimes with certain characters that if they had an origin that was particularly goofy or whatever from you know especially from way back in the golden age or whatever that, that there was always that temptation and sometimes it even happened where where they would kind of retool it a little bit for, you know, for a more uh modern audience or whatever to to try to make it a little bit jazzier or whatever and I just wondered if if that ever happened with Jay Garrick, but I I was not familiar if, if it ever did happen. Cuz yeah, the hard water thing's a little that's a little goofy. <laughs> I like where Barry retells his origin on page 9 because you know, it's the same um, I'm not sure who the inker was on showcase number four, but it's the same penciler with Carmen Infantino and he's doing a wonderful job of flashing back to his own work on that. And, uh, and I think it's really cool, especially the shot of him outright outracing the car taxi, whatever. Hey, it's a taxi. I mean, that's right out of showcase number four. So that's really cool. I like that. Okay. This one's kind of the, this is the elephant in the room right here. So I, I get how the thinkers spaghetti strainer boosts his mental power and that he used that to project an image of himself wearing a normal hat into people's brains and some of the other things that he did but i'm just gonna say it not even professor x could make a dog talk just by you know using a psychic command that is plain stupid that was that was make you
0: think you heard the dog talk
1: yeah maybe, but I mean, he's not using his power on the on the flash. He's using it. I mean he gave basically a a what essentially comes down to like a post hypnotic suggestion to the dog. like, hey, if the flash happens to come by, I want you to tell him this that is <laughs> that is flat, stupid. That is really dumb. And an otherwise enjoyable issue that i I really genuinely liked, that was the one moment where I'm like, oh my God, that is so stupid. Because it really is. I mean, that is Silver Age wackiness at its at its most horrible right there. I mean, because I mean, there's just so many reasons why this doesn't work, not the least of which is a a dog is not physiologically set up to speak. You know what I mean? So
0: ask Bill about that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i don't know i saw a commercial with a dog speaking on it <laughs> he inherits a house actually from what i recall. See, you're the reason dave that they put those <laughs> warning labels on commercials like do not attempt you know <laughs> uh but yeah what are you saying it's not true <laughs> I can, you know, I can roll with a lot of goofy stuff in, in comics and in TV shows and stuff. But this this was just that was a stretch too far for me was the was the talking dog thing was just like, come on. Ugh. I don't know why,
0: because because I should be totally with you on this. There's no question I should be, but I just find it hilarious. I don't know. It just that flash. Wait, the ticker is inside the house stealing the Neptune cup. <laughs> i just I don't that's know what I, that's the like. voice i hear that's the voice i hear <laughs> so i don't know it, it cracks me up
1: <laughs> uh, james robinson's Starman made me a fan of the shade and uh, i really like seeing the shade here even though he's he's pretty different you know pretty far removed from uh from james robinson's version i i still think it's just fun to see him because I, I like that character a lot is the and is that.
2: the shade where Dr. Midnight gets those blackout bombs from? It it's
1: a very similar kind of thing, I think. Yeah. I even like the fiddler. I, I have a I have something of a soft spot for the fiddler. He's goofy as all get out, but I, I kind of like him. I think he's kind of neat. I can't go with you on the fiddler. You don't like the fiddler?
0: No, I can't 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 agree with you on that one. It's just, <laughs> it's just too dopey. It's dopey, but and it's And yet the talking cool. dogs is fine. <laughs>
2: The fiddler's got a cool car though. Come on. Talking
0: dogs are fine, but the fiddler is a bridge too far.
2: <laughs> Imagine looking for a spot to park that thing in.
0: Yeah, you're not parallel parking that.
1: So page thirteen, panel four, we get a, a wonderful little moment here where where the where Jay Garrick is, is adopting his costume. They're going to team up. They're going to go out and and fight crime and, you know, this whole situation. And Barry says to him, I can't tell you how excited I am to be going off on a case with my boyhood hero. Very next panel, they're running side by side. And Jay Garrick is already fed up with Barry because he says, we'd better split up here. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, I thought this was the point that they were doing this together, but whatever. They seem to do that a lot though. You know what I'm saying? Even yeah. like
2: those old uh JSA team team-ups, you know, back in the 40s. Oh yeah, we're going to work together. You go here, you go here, and you go there.
0: That was and yeah, we'll that meet was the up after it's over. They split up the group.
1: Yep. Yep, and that would that would carry on for a long time too where they would do it that way. So the flash is now. I realize that they're not Batman, you know, they're not the world's greatest detective kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it, it has to be said, they don't so much track the criminals down, it's just run all over the damn place until they just happen to run into them. Did you notice that in this story?
0: It's cool because the there's, shot, there's, shot there's no detective
1: pro. work, it's all footwork. Mm-hmm. They just happen to stumble across them.
0: Well, they would get flagged down by the dogs,
1: <laughs> but for the dogs, they may have kept going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, this, this was a bit of a mystery to me. I, I See if you can figure this. So I guess the Shade's darkness must have mass and substance of some kind in order for Barry to be able to suck it up in a funnel. So it's it's not just like a black light or something. There, there, there has to be something to it, right? I took it. It was like smoke, something like smoke.
2: I, yeah I guess Everyone was smoking in the 60s no. In
0: in, <laughs> in my head it has some sort of like An oily feel to it
1: Right yeah. Page 18 Oh yes this uh, this is another uh, This is another elephant in the room here So He uh, Oh god this one's This one's just this one's worse In some ways than the dog thing So The shade shade is in a speedboat (laughs) running away from the Flash. And the Flash is chasing him. Barry Allen's chasing him. And Barry is moving. You know, it's, it's it's the old trick of he's running on the water. He's moving so fast that he doesn't have time to sink. And he just runs across the water. Which, up until The Incredibles, I always thought was a really stupid thing. But then seeing it happen in The Incredibles, I'm like, okay, that's really cool. Visually, it's really neat. But he's running across the water chasing him. And the shade sees this so he uses his blackout power and and basically makes the flash slip and as flash is slipping he says oh he says he mixed oil with the darkness however that works making the water so slippery i can not it's water yeah how do it you make sense. water more slippery it makes sense. wouldn't it
2: Now he's gonna have the EPA on him too. Oh wait, there was no (laughs) EPA. It's another Exxon Valdez, right?
1: here (laughs) Right. I don't know. That one just. Oh, that one just makes my head hurt trying to figure out. I mean, seriously, I have a headache now just trying to figure. How does that work? And I mean, I realize that physics is not really a consideration much in the Flash comics, but I mean, come on. How, How does that work? Yes, if his feet are not touching the water. <laughs> well, I, I think I know where Paul sides with this, but I honestly I can't decide if the fiddle car is the coolest or the lamest thing I've ever seen. It's it's kind of simultaneously both. I think it's I think it's actually kind of neat. I would have liked to have seen like a like a toy like a Mego figure fiddler with with a Mego car the fiddle car. I think that actually would have been kind of cool. <laughs> Well wait, 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 go to the page before where uh uh-huh.
2: Jay's sitting on the couch and Barry's at the other end, and just the look on
1: Jay's face, to me it's like, Will you just leave already? Right, yeah. There there are a couple points of the story where you know, Barry is totally fanboying over him, but Jay doesn't seem like he's really all that keen on, on having Barry around sometimes.
2: Oh God! <laughs> Maybe we could team up all the time. Get the frick away
1: from me! <laughs> I'm going back into retirement. Page twenty. Seriously, bonus points for the scene on the cover being in the book. I always like when this happens, and it doesn't happen near enough. But this is this is really cool. Third panel of uh, of page twenty is pretty much it's the cover, and I, I think that's really cool that they did that. Yeah, definitely. Now, page twenty-two. I want to know why it never occurred to the villains to ever wonder if maybe the younger Flash was Jay's son, and that never that never comes up in the issue at all. And they never even really ever question who the other Flash is. They just kind of accept that. Okay, now there's two Flashes. But I think that would have been interesting if they had, you know, at least had a, a passing thought that, oh, it must be his son. Because it, it kind of makes sense, I think, doesn't it? Or mm-hmm. are they too far separated in the age, you think?
2: I think it's too far separated in age. And I think he's too. If he was a kid, it would have worked better. Right. It just, uh, I don't know. They would have been like Big Flash and Little Flash Burdett.
1: right now to kidnap or you know to to apprehend i should say the villains jay garrick just kind of spins the shade silly they unplug all the all the wires and everything from uh, the thinker's spaghetti strainer helmet but with the fiddler look at this on page 24 first panel Barry is using the, that vibrating thing that he uses to, like, pass through walls and solid objects. He's using that on the on the fiddler's fiddle to actually place the fiddle on his wrists. Now, the and moment if you've ever seen let,
0: the vision become solid in someone, yeah. you, you know what kind of damage that can do.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking the minute he lets go of that fiddle and it solidifies, it's just going to lop the fiddler's hands off at the wrist, right? Pretty much.
2: Oh, that see, I took it as like he just kind of slammed it through.
0: Well, that would probably break his wrists.
2: Yeah, I think that,
1: that was, the, was the plan.
0: That would yeah, hurt. You're, you're not going to be fiddling, fiddling be no, no more. fiddling mother. around now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that would hurt, but it wouldn't hurt near as much as having your your you know having him pull a uh, uh, Count Dooku on him and just lop the lop his hands off at the wrists.
2: They were always throwing in these stories, that, you know? Uh, like a tornado, a piece of hay can pierce a piece of metal or or something like that. And that's always the excuse how they're able to drill things through through stuff. So maybe that's what they did. You know, they smashed it through his hands, but because of the vibration, it didn't actually injure him. I'll buy that. This is going to be the thing
1: that sinks the story. (laughs) same page fourth panel the whole thing about uh we placed these tiny gems in our ears wow that's irresponsible that sh that should have a they big old warning fun. label kids do not attempt this at home
0: they don't have earplugs on earth too i guess <laughs> <laughs>
1: But, uh, that's all I've got for notes on this. I re I really dug this. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I, I'm surprised. I mean, if this really was my first time reading it and I honestly don't remember if, if I ever read it before I had no memory of it. So I'm surprised it's taken me this long to, uh, to read it and, and kind of discover the story, but I dug it. I thought it was, I thought it was really cool.
0: Agreed. Totally.
2: I just want to throw out two, two, two things with this. I, I, went over this story when uh the tv that showed the flash was gonna do this with the kids because uh-huh. we were watching it together so we we read the comic and then we we watched the show and they got such a kick out of it because there's a scene in the tv show where they literally reenact the cover to this that's book. cool that's so, cool And the uh, second thing is, I just want to throw out the uh, Gardner Fox. He is from Brooklyn. Oh, is that right? He went to St. John's College and St. John's Law School and was a lawyer, but chose to write comic books instead. As you should. As you should.
0: That's what we
2: would do. (laughs) That's right. If only the money was rolling in here
1: let's see gardner fox he passed oh he passed away in 80s i knew he was dead but i i wasn't sure i thought he he lived to more you know more recent times but yeah he passed away actually on christmas eve of all times uh 1986 he passed away he was 75 years old yeah, he graduated
2: saint john's college before it was a university in 1932 and then attended That's like me right you weren't you in class together
0: and then he uh, went there just after it became a university.
2: <laughs> and then he uh, graduated St. John's Law School in
1: 1936,
2: huh. which I'm an alma mater of both.
1: He's a pretty uh, fascinating guy. If you if you read up on him, you know, his, his wiki entry or just, you know, the different articles out there about him, he, he was pretty cool. He was a pretty cool guy. Very, very prolific writer. And came up with a lot of cool stuff for, for DC, that's for sure. And we're all the better for it. Yep. I say
2: that, I say that seriously, not even like joking. Right. right no, I, I agree with you.
1: Uh, Did we want to do grades on this one?
2: Why not? All right.
1: I'll uh, go first. How's that? Yeah,
2: go ahead. Uh, The cover? The cover is, as you said... Bonus points because it is in the story. It's become so iconic. The art is beautiful. The coloring is great. I, I have to give it an A. An A plus I'm going to go. The uh, interior story, the art, I think it's very, very good art. It's of the time, as I always throw that out. There's backgrounds on most of the panels. The coloring is bright. I'm giving that an A. And the story, I mean, we beat it to death. I think it's a great story. It introduces literally a whole new universe that's going to just keep multiplying. And... uh Stories an A, so overall,
0: A. I'm gonna pretty much agree with you. Cover is an A plus. I think the cover is awesome. I think it's not only because it's an important issue. I just think the co If if this was a meaningless issue, this would still be a really cool cover. Um, the story, I'll give him total credit for not falling into the trap of trying to make this more bombastic. Uh, that's where bill would break into uh (laughs) break into song (laughs) if he was here so I, i i you know there's there's silly elements of it you know the dogs and all of that but you know what it made me smile i don't care a uh and the art again like dave said of the time this is this is pretty advanced for its time uh it's clean it's it's the storytelling is really good. It's got creepy floating kid heads. I mean, you don't, you can't do much better than that. And and it actually, just to mention, uh, if you go to the next page, it has the floating heads there too, just not in the black.
2: It's whack so, a kid instead of whack a mole. Yeah, it's like,
0: yeah, it's exactly <laughs> it. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the I'm gonna give the art an, an, a 1961 A. If this came out now, I don't know if I'm giving it an A. But in 1961, it's absolutely an A. Uh, so I'm giving the, story, the overall book an A. In fact, I'm giving the overall book an A plus. This is this is a great book on on many levels.
2: I'll join you and bump mine up to an A plus too.
1: So the cover for me is definitely an A plus. Now I've never been a fan of uh, of Barry Allen in the comics, you know, the Barry Allen Flash, but I can't imagine uh, being a kid in in 1961 uh reading the flash and not picking this issue up because it's just i mean it had to have grabbed kids like oh my gosh who's this other flash i've got to find it. you know that sort of thing but i mean i love the colors i love the perspective it's nicely shaded i mean everything and it's just it is an iconic cover so yeah absolutely and and again drawn by two of my favorite comic book artists so yeah absolute a1 uh, a plus rather on the on the cover Interior art, I just, you know, I have absolutely nothing against Joe Gaella whatsoever. I just, I really wish it was Carmen, uh, excuse me, um, Murphy Anderson on the interior inks. Uh, I think it just would have bumped it up that much more for me. So I'm going to go an A- minus on the interior art, but that's not to say I didn't like it or that there's anything wrong with it. Um, I really like it. I just, I would have liked something a little bit different with the inks on it. Story you know, I know I dogged it a lot with some of my snarky comments and everything. And there, you know, there's the whole thing with the dogs and the whole thing with the oil on water and all that, but that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I will forgive a multitude of goofiness sins if I just had fun. And I had a blast reading this. I thought it was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it. And I'm really glad that I read it. So, you know, all that wackiness aside, uh, I still think it was really solid. So I would say a for, uh, for the story. And, uh, You know, this is another example of uh, of a book being you know greater than the sum of its parts. It's a straight up A plus grade for the for the comic as a whole because I mean it's it's a lot of fun, it's nicely drawn, it's got a really fun story, and I mean it is a major key issue in uh, in DC history. So yeah, for all those reasons, uh, definitely A plus on this one. I really dug it a lot.
0: I'm gonna take what you said a step further. It's a major Story or major key issue in comics, not just DC. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for this uh, first episode of Legends of the Justice Society of America. Um, Join us next time. Uh, We're not sure yet of the frequency of these. Um, We're going to try to do it in some sort of regular fashion. We just don't know the frequency quite yet. Um, But when we do the next episode, next episode, we will be looking at Flash... 129. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at 2truefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks internet radio network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Monzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.